Welcome to Women in the Arena podcast, the podcast celebrating women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. I'm your host, Audra Egan, and our mission is to elevate the value, strength, and resilience each woman brings to the world. Without further delay, let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome in, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Audra, your host of Women in the Arena podcast, where we celebrate women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. It's November, and the holidays are upon us. And since 2020 has been a ride, and small businesses have been hit the hardest, we thought for the month of November that we wanted to do something proactive to help these small businesses. So each week, we are going to highlight a female small business. I hope you enjoy the interviews, and even more so, I hope you go in and check out their websites. They have some amazing things, and every dollar you spend with them is going to go directly back into their business. I am so excited for you all to meet all of these amazing women, and I can't wait to get started. So let's start the show. Welcome in, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to introduce to you these two ladies that are with me today. The entire month, we are celebrating female small business owners, and we are kicking it off with some pretty extraordinary women. I am here with Sue Tipton and Norma Poole. Susan is the owner and operator of Acquiesce Winery in Lodi, California. She is truly unique, and she makes an incredible, incredible white wine. She is one of the only female wineries in the entire state of California, and she's the only all-white wine winery in all of California, northern, southern, all of California. She was started from humble beginnings, and she has become very well-known, and she is joining us today. Also with us is Norma Poole, who is the sommelier for Acquiesce Wineries. She has over 25 years experience in being in the wine service industry. She has worked for cake bread sellers, Klein sellers, Cardinal Loya, Curvation Winery, and Three Wine Company. She has been a wine buyer, sommelier, and retail manager for JV Wine and Spirits in Napa, California, and now the sommelier for Acquiesce. It is my pleasure and my honor to introduce you to these remarkable ladies, Norma and Sue. Norma, thank you. And Sue, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the show. Well, our pleasure. Just, thank uh, you. <laughs> honored to be here. I am I am so excited. If you guys can't tell, I am a huge fan of these ladies. Uh, they, I was introduced to their winery two years ago because I I love wine, but I can't drink red. And when I went to their tasting room, they made the most beautiful white wine, and it made me enjoy wine again. And when I started this show, I knew I had to have them on here, so I I stalked them and asked them to come on. So, ladies, thank you so much for joining me. And I, we want to know a little bit more about you. So, Sue, tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and Norma, the same thing. 
Well, uh, probably start from the beginning. I'm a Chicagoan. Uh, I was raised in a blue collar family. Um, my father was a factory worker, but also loved coming home and watching Julia Child on TV. <laughs> and uh, he made some incredible meals. He was all about farm fresh before it was uh, uh, <laughs> a term that we use daily. And also he kind of uh, stoked uh, the fires for me about uh, food and good food and how to pair it. Um, so that's kind of my history. And uh, we're Irish, so we always had people over on the weekends. And so I'm kind of continuing that same thing here with the tasting room. Um, but uh, I raised uh, three boys, uh, lived in multiple states after Chicago, um, moved to uh, Michigan, Sweden, Colorado, Oregon, Texas, and in 2000, moved to California. Um, our winery is called Acquiesce, and uh, the reason it's called Acquiesce is when we were living in Oregon, uh, my husband Rodney uh, and I were listening to Katie Lang on the stereo and she was singing the song acquiesce and he was a corporate executive at the time and had just uh, traveled to 10 different countries in 10 days and uh, we're listening to the song and he said we're going to have a place one day and we're going to call it acquiesce and i said really what's it going to be like and he said well we'll see the sunrise and the sunset we'll have property there and uh, we're going to really enjoy our lives there. So I qualify him as a visionary. When we bought our property in 2003 at Acquiesce, uh, we called the property Acquiesce. Uh, it had 12 acres of Zinfandel grapes, and that pretty much started our journey into the wine world. I love that. And we're going we're gonna to dive into that story further. Uh, but before we do, Norma, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, uh, I grew up on a farm in upstate New York, uh, five generations, actually. I'm the first rebel to move to the West Coast. And uh, <laughs> um, we, uh, like Sue, you know, we cooked, we we had family over, and everybody in my family cooked and uh, just enjoyed, you know, the foods that we raised in our garden um, and the, uh, everything. It just always had beautiful, beautiful food. But I fell in love with it's kind of funny, uh, Sue said, Julia Child. I read My Life in France about uh, 28 years ago um, on a plane heading to California. Um, I had actually graduated from a, a school back east, Ivy League school, with uh, two kids, single mom. And I was on the plane. I read My Life in France. And then I, led a year, I read A Year in Provence and landed in Sacramento, of all places, quickly said, I can't live here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the desert. And, uh, and then I had some really good friends from New York that um, actually got a small place in Sacramento. They worked for the state of California. They were scientists. They started making wine in their garage. Well, I hadn't really had wine in upstate New York, even though we have great wineries there. Started drinking their wine and helping them blend and uh, just the, the culture and the stories and what fun we would have together. I fell in love with um, the culture of wine, I guess you could say, and learning about the different wines. 
So um, I uh, met, uh, well, who is my husband now? Uh, and we moved to the Napa Valley and completely immersed myself into, I want to learn more about this. I've always valued education and I love instruction. I like helping people get excited about what they're doing. Life is short, but I was, you know, in my forties uh, going into this. And um, so I uh, applied for the, uh, studied for the uh, sommelier, the certificate level uh, about 16 years before anybody else was doing it and passed it the first time around. And then um, I decided to uh, go to attend Napa Valley College and their viticulture program. I got a certificate in that. And so I made wine, helped them grow the grapes and at the same time working at wineries. In the wine business, you have to have like two or three jobs going. (laughs) (laughs) But I just said, I want to learn more about this. I am fascinated by the science, the viticulture aspect, as well as the wine growing aspect. And um, what helped is uh, my husband um, is also a sommelier and uh, worked at some great restaurants in the Napa Valley, which we were very excited about being included in their great tastings with with Master Soms. And one of them was the French Laundry. That's when I fell in love with French wine. Well, okay. So I'm like, I can't drink California wine anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to jump forward to the present day. Um, wine tasting in Lodi a couple of years ago. And uh, someone recommended Acquiesce. And, you know, I kind of wanted something different to do. And I read, I read something about Sue. Um, and her brilliance and what she's doing. And I thought, this woman has got it together. I want to know her. Wrote her a letter. I tasted her wine, first of all. I said, no way. This can't be California wine because I love French wine. And okay, so I wrote her a letter and I said, I want to work for you. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how I ended up at Acquiesce and it has changed my life. It has changed my life. That in and of itself the fact that you reached out and you took a risk and said, I love your wine. I want to come yeah. work for you. Yeah. I, I've been, I've been preaching that for a very long time. Take a risk because you never know what'll happen. And you took a risk. Sue said yes. And it's changed your life. Um, oh, yeah. and I am, I am so grateful for both of you for taking risks and doing things your own way. And that's part of what we wanted to talk about today is, and and first, Sue, you are a female in a very, very male-dominated organization and very male-dominated field. Uh, How how did you start? I mean, first of all, I need to give everybody the picture. Their property in Lodi is stunning and spectacular, but I, I know that your journey wasn't easy, but... Tell us a little bit about how you came to be a winery owner. Well, it started slow (laughs) and um, I didn't initially have a vision. So I'd like to tell people to try to just go with what you want to do and what you love. Um, The starting the whole winery, I started making wine from the Zinfandel grapes on our property uh, very, the very first year that we moved here in small quantities as a home winemaker. Um, I found the reds fairly easy to make, but I was also trying to make a rosé from the, uh, the grapes and found them a little more challenging. And um, during this process of trying to figure out how to do these things properly, I f- fell in love with a white Chateauneuf-de-Pop wine. 
Um, it's a white blend from the region of Chateauneuf-de-Pop in the Rhone region of France, the Southern Rhone. And um, like I said, we lived many places and we lived in Europe for a while. I had never tried uh, a white Chateauneuf-de-Pop. Um, and I come to find out why I probably hadn't. Um, the region only has 6% of their grapes are white. So they're known for their Grenache, Syrah, Mved blends. Um, they export to 50 different countries. And um, the price points in the U.S. for these wines are usually around $75 a bottle, which is probably another reason why I hadn't tried one. Because yeah, um, that, that's steep for a bottle of wine. It is. And, you know, they're able to kind of have the price point because of the rarity of the grape varietals and the demand for them. And so anyway, I happened to pond one that was um, pretty inexpensive. And um, so I didn't say at that point, I'm going to make these wines. But I went back to the store with the bottle and said, I would please like two cases of this amazing wine. And they got on their computer and they said, hmm, you're holding the last bottle in California. And that's wow. It was that rare that you were holding the very last bottle in the entire state. Right, right. And um, that kind of started my curiosity going and saying, okay, so what is this grape? What is this wine all about? Where is it possible to even maybe get some vines and try this wine? And so since it's a blend, um, we decided to plant uh, still kind of under the home winemaking um, um, theme. Uh, we, were, we planted an, a half acre of head-trained Grenache Blanc. And um, just after one year of it being in the ground, we were so thrilled with it and um, planted some more grapes. And it got to the point where it's like, okay, we either have to stop this. We don't have that many friends that we could give away that much wine. <laughs> or we have to um, open a winery. So we had on our property a 100-year-old barn that was in disrepair. There were owls living in it. Uh, creatures that owls eat were living in it and uh, holes in the roof. And um, uh, my husband loves a project. So he was thrilled with the idea of uh, fixing up this 100-year-old barn um, into a tasting room. And so we started on that project probably in 2008, uh, about the same time we were planting the, some of the vines. And... Um, opened our tasting room in 2012. And um, it was quite interesting because I wanted to stick with these white wines and I wanted to do them right. And like I said, the reds I found relatively easy to make and the whites and the rosés were a huge challenge to me, but that kind of drew me to that. It was like a puzzle to figure out. And um, when we opened the tasting room, of course it was all white wines uh, at the time, uh, several well-meaning local winery owners said to me, you know, wow, that's great. You make great wines, but you're never going to make it if you don't have a red in your lineup. And I was making a few hundred cases when I opened and I said, oh, well, if I don't sell them, I'll drink them. <laughs> within a few months, actually, um, we were sold out that year. So, um there, there really was a demand for them, and it's really a fun 
uh, experience to introduce people that like wine uh, that have never tried these unique varietals. So uh, besides the well, you know, well-intended neighbors that said, we can't take you seriously because you don't have a red, uh, which is which is silly, but I know that that's a common thing that you hear. What other challenges have you faced being, number one, a white winemaker, and two, being a female white winemaker? Yeah, I, I think the biggest problem I felt, and it was really difficult, um, when you have a vision of what you'd like to do, and anyone that's starting a small business can relate to this, you have a vision in mind and a way that you want to go. And a lot of, I think sometimes well-intentioned people will try to steer you away from your vision. And I think you just have to kind of suck it up and go with your heart and your desires and go forward. Um, As the winemaker here, uh, it was interesting uh, when my husband would appear in the tasting room, um, right away, people would talk to him, especially other males and say, so you're the guy that makes the wine. And he would say, no, I don't know how to make wine. It's my wife. She makes the wine. Oh yeah. Well then you must be the guy that's funding this all. And he said, no, <laughs> you know, it, this, this is not the case. It's all her. And it took literally four and a half years before that dynamic shifted. Um, which, you know, when you're, kind of hearing things about maybe you should do this, maybe you should do that. And then you also have, you know, people just not giving you credit for the work that you're doing. Um, it takes, you know, it, t- it sometimes kind of grabs your heart and you think, gee, you know, is this the right way to go? But just have to kind of stick with your love. And that's really what's got me through this. And sometimes too, after a hard day of work in the vineyard, I'll say, oh, this is a lot of work because I started this in my fifties. I'm 64 right now. And um, it's literally, I'm the winemaker. My husband helps out and we have, you know, people that pick for us and tend the vineyards, but we're doing it all. And, uh, but when I sit down in the evening with a nice bottle of my wine, I say, yep, that's why I'm doing it. So. <laughs> and, and like I said before, Sue, I am so glad that you do that uh, because it is such a, a pleasure to drink your product. Uh, Norma, you are a a female sommelier, and you started studying this when, again, this is a very male-dominated industry, and you started this before there was even women that were interested in it. Oh, yeah. So tell tell me about that. Well, uh, you know, I've always been a, I love education. Like I said, I, I want to keep learning, learning, learning. And um, I, when I moved, we moved to um, uh, Napa Valley. Um, I was uh, really uh, surrounded by a lot of sommeliers uh, and great people who, who I actually, I'm very, very fortunate to have mentored with. But um, yeah, it was, uh, I'd be the only woman in the whole tasting group. And, uh, (laughs) figure. (laughs) Yeah. And to boot, I was a buyer for a uh, retail sales shop that was the largest in Northern California outside actually of San Francisco. 
that uh, after 46 years folded, not because I was a buyer, but because because the uh, owner uh, passed away and his family didn't want to continue on with the business. Business was broke my heart. Uh, But anyway, I became, uh, I guess you could say, a pretty powerful person because I had the purse strings to buy anything I wanted. It was primarily French wine and Italian and German wine. But I would get invited to these um, tastings, uh, which uh, all men, and I'd be kind of sitting there. And my uh, my whole thing has been the person who's really quiet in the group is the one you got to be careful of. Mm, yeah, that was me. Yep. That was me. I sit back and I would listen and listen and I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And then the questions would be asked and uh, uh, no one would seem to come through. And I would say, well, I would give my, you know, impression of the correct answer. And they'd all look at me like, huh? Wow. Okay. Where did, where did that come yeah. from? Yeah, I know. And so it was so fun, but I did it in a way I want to learn and I want to learn by listening, but you can learn by listening. And I was very fortunate to rub elbows with some of the greatest uh, master of Psalms and masters of wine in the industry. And uh, yeah, uh, the only woman female that I really ever met that was powerful was Jancis Robinson. And uh, I was very fortunate to attend her uh, small tastings at Copia uh, in Napa uh, when it first opened and uh, became a docent there so I could rub more elbows with these wonderful people. But yeah, I mean, then I was a buyer for two years in Las Vegas uh, at some restaurants. We moved. uh, I forgot to say that part. (laughs) We lived there for two years. Uh, My husband opened some restaurants there and uh, I was a buyer for um, a couple of restaurants and sommelier, general manager. And that is truly, there is very little women there. <laughs> period, period, that are, that are in any sort of management, restaurant. Everything. Venue, very few. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, I just didn't care. I just uh, forged ahead and everybody was so cool. They were really, really cool because they saw that I, my heart and soul was in it. And I think that's the main thing. You really, like Sue said, you have to have your heart and soul. And I didn't care. I wanted to learn as much as I could, and I put it to to uh, action. And um, it's just, I just uh, didn't think of myself as a woman. I thought of myself as someone who wants to to really do great at what I do. So, just for just to step back for just a moment, for those who do not know, what is the difference between a sommelier, a docent, and a buyer? Okay, a docent is someone who actually volunteers to work. Um, for the arts, especially. Um, and it could be in a teaching or um, artistic capacity, like in museums. And I'm sure the definition can go on, but um, I volunteered my, uh, my time so that I could be with experts in the wine industry. And so I think it can be used for a number of different, um, uh, you know, volunteer type jobs. But I think it's primarily with the arts. A buyer is someone um, who... Uh, a lot of buyers, uh, we'll say, for example, for wine, um, don't have a sommelier background. Uh, they just know what the needs are for their particular retail store or their restaurant. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they are a sommelier. A sommelier is, uh, and really um, a lot of the, the term sommelier is used quite frequently now. 
Um, but uh, it usually alludes to someone who is responsible for a restaurant wine list um, and does uh, prepares the wine list, which I have done uh, to match the current food offered or the menu offered. Now, a lot of people, um, I guess it's used quite differently now. Uh, it's really the, the term is very broad. It's very general for someone who actually might have a very great learned background in wine but doesn't have the certification or has, has taken the exams. So um, I don't know if that answered your question. It does. It does. So, but you have all the certifications because you went and studied it and took all the exams. I have taken, I'm halfway there with actually the uh, Master of Wine and the <laughs> Master of Sommelier, which is kind of funny because I didn't know where what direction I wanted to go into. So um, what I was studying uh, for the first two levels of the um, Master Sam, and actually you're not really a Master Sam until you take the final, final exam. And that is, there's very, very few women uh, and men who are in that uh, cadre. But because I'm certified, I took the certification level and I can say that I'm a uh, certificate sommelier. Um, That's very impressive. Because since there's very few of them. Well, um, at the time, it was like 2006, I believe, believe, and there were no women out of 55 uh, taking the exam. And most of them were taking it for the third time around. And um, I passed it the first time. So I felt pretty darn good about that. And now there are quite a few people who have taken the uh, certificate sum uh, level. So it is kind of confusing. And I understand the question. I hope I answered it. <laughs> no, no, you absolutely did. Um, the same question that I posed to Sue, what has been the biggest challenge or some of the challenges of being one of the only female uh, in this industry? You know, um, just maybe being passed over uh, for not getting the right uh, deals, uh, especially when I was a buyer. Uh, I've had a few... Uh, like interviews with some restaurants that were just like, well, you know, I'm right now. Know if we're we want to have so and so instead of you or that kind of thing. I don't want to. I love men, and I, it's not about a man thing. It's just about I really knew who the other candidates were, and I felt, and sometimes I was passed over for that, and that's fine because I just take the next opportunity. That's okay. I learned from that experience. Um, let's see. Uh, I can think of, uh, a couple of situations when, you know, I've been in a group tasting, like I said, that I wasn't deferred to for information. So you just, I don't know. I just, I you know, I, I think we've, I think we've, many of us have been in situations similar to that, be it in a boardroom meeting, what have you, that absolutely yeah. they're not, they're not deferring to you, even though you should be, right. you are the expert in the room and they're not deferring mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know what? You two ladies just pressed on and went, that's okay. I'm going to work harder and I will, I will show you. And you certainly have, um, before the lockdown happened, uh, you have, you have such a beautiful experience, uh, in the tasting room. Uh, Sue, would you walk us through what that experience is? Uh, because I got the opportunity to do that. And uh, because we can't physically go see you, will you 
you give us a walkthrough so we can imagine being in your tasting room in our minds. Sure. Um, like I said, our tasting room is in our 100-year-old barn. Um, the outside of the barn is kind of interesting because we have a round door uh, that was custom designed for our space on the uh, front of the building. Uh, you walk in and um, you're greeted by one of our tasting staff um, and you're presented with a menu uh, with uh, five different wines. And uh, we start out with the first wine and then a food pairing. So just to give you an idea, we probably would start off with our um, Grenache Blanc, which is our number one planted varietal here at Acquiesce. Everything here is estate grown. And we have a little goat cheese pairing with a violet flower confit on top, which is a little violet flower jelly that we import from France. And then we might go on to our, let's say, our uh, Roussan. Uh, our Roussan is a very rare varietal, um, only 300 acres in the U.S., and um, we would have that paired with a manchego cheese with grated tomato and fresh rosemary. And then from there, we would maybe go on to one of our blends, our Belle Blanc blend. Yeah, so we have these little food pairings with each of the wines that we have. We have 10 different wines, but we release uh, half of them in the spring and then the other half in the fall. I like to leave our... Um, blends in the bottle a little bit longer for them to develop. And so we release some of them later in the year. And then um, it's really kind of a fun experience when we have these wine and food pairings because people really open up instead of just pounding down three or four or five samples of wine. Um, it opens up a conversation of what people like to have their wines with, what kinds of foods. It opens up conversations about you know, what is in the dishes. We create specialty dishes, uh, like we do a, um, a white bean with uh, Provence mustard is one of our pairings. And, and, you know, how do you make it and why does it pair well with the wine? And I think it, it really opens up a dialogue. And so it's not just a, a, a tasting per se, but it's a conversation. It really is an amazing experience of uh... I thoroughly enjoyed it when I got to do that. Um, Norma, how fun is it for you to create the pairings that uh, that everybody experiences in the tasting room? Well, um, actually, Chef Rodney. Uh, <laughs> Chef Rodney. <laughs> yeah, and he is a chef. Oh, he can cook. And so, well, Sue and Rodney do it together. And it's really fun because they'll roll out the new one and, uh, before they actually, before they roll it out, they'll invite me and some other employees in the back. They'll say, try this, try this, try this. We're like, Oh, delicious, delicious. You know? And that part is super fun. Um, what I I'm learning a lot about some of the nuances of some of the flavors, because I, I never really had a violet flower confit before. I mean, really, I knew what confit was, but it wasn't violet flower confit. <laughs> yeah. And just, uh, what I love is, uh, Showing people when I'm uh, pouring for them and uh, talking about the pairings, talking about the components that Rodney and Sue have given so much thought to about what is what is happening with their palate, with the taste of the wine 
and then the taste of the food. And we always approach it like uh, try the wine first now um, and enjoy the uh, aroma and the flavor profile of the wine and then try the little taste of the, the pairing with it. Okay. And then go back to the wine again and see what do you think about the comparing it or the contrasting it and to open up uh, your uh, imagination about trying different things and not being afraid. People are very afraid. Uh, they really are about food and wine pairing. Um, I taught it for years at Napa College. That was uh, something I forgot to say. Uh, I taught for, taught there professionally for eight and a half years. And one of the courses I taught was food and wine pairing. And people are very hesitant about anything that sounds weird, you know? <laughs> and, well, here's the thing too. Sue's wines, you know, Claret Blanche and Bourbonblanc and you know, Grenache Black, all of these wines are so incredibly food friendly. I mean, it's it's almost bizarre. How could they be how could they be so versatile? So that is exciting too to turn people onto that. So yeah, I love that part of it. And people love it too, and seeing the excitement on their faces and it's very rewarding. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I gotta do this. And uh, fortunately, we can pay, we can uh, purchase those uh, pairings in the tasting room along with the wine. So people are taking home an experience. Yeah, and I I, I took home the experience with me, uh, and I will tell oh. you that my my son, my twenty three year old son, plowed through that violet flower confit. <laughs> it was yeah. it was very good. Um, so yes, I, I I thank you for walking us through that visually the experience because it it really is and it's so fun and educational and, and just a, a wonderful way to spend an afternoon uh, and and you get to meet people in the room and exchange stories and it's just it's just a really good time and I can't oh, I wait to it. be able to do that in yeah. person eventually again. Um, Sue, what's some things that you have learned? through this journey of owning a, a winery and being a winemaker that that is so unexpected? Well, I've often said, if you showed me a list of everything you had to do to get to where I am right now, I would have <laughs> closed that book up and said, no, thank you. <laughs> if you just take things a little bit at a time, um, you can really accomplish what you you'd like to do but um as far as uh the journey for me um i was mentored in uh winemaking by uh, a great winemaker teacher uh, heather pyle lucas and so she helped she was my mentor in so many ways because i realized quickly that for one, my age and the fact that I'm a woman getting into this profession. I mean, this is a second half of my life, um, something I never thought I would do. I never, as a small child, said, gee, I want to be a winemaker and own a winery. <laughs> I mean, that never happened. But um, And several times I'd say, if you looked at my, um, my resume, you would say, what is this woman trying to do with her life? Because we moved around a lot and we moved to different locations. I had many jobs. I was um, a personnel assistant. I worked in sales. I was an office manager. I owned my own um, mail order business for some time. And if you'd look at that resume, you'd say, what the heck? But, you know, 
in this career that I have now, every single one of those jobs has been yes. my teacher. So, you know, I remember the saying, um, sometimes um, you say, oh my God, what is going on here? And you look up at the sky and you say, uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. But on the other side of the sky, someone's making a quilt and all you see are the stitches. You don't see the pattern. And so I think of that in terms of my life, that a lot of these pattern pieces have come together. And I was a quilter for a while, too. So maybe that's why. <laughs> but um, these pieces have come together. And, um, you know, being a winemaker is um, a privilege in so many ways, because each year, uh, each vintage represents a year of your life, really. When you think about it, I think not in how many years I have left in my life, but how many vintages I have left. And it takes a year's worth of work to go into that one vintage and you have to do it right. So a lot of attention to detail is placed on that because it's not like when you bake a cake. If you make a cake and it doesn't turn out, you just make another cake the next day or the same day even. If you don't do everything necessary to get the quality wine, then you have another year before you can try it again. So um, I felt that being a mom, raising boys has been um, very helpful to me because I feel like these wines in the tank are my children. And um, once they're in the bottle, it's like when they go off to college, <laughs> you don't have to worry about them as much. You still worry about them, but not quite as much because they're safer. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I think that the whole way of looking at um, the winery and my career here has been um, a study in life for me. That's, that is a wonderful and beautiful sentiment. And I hadn't thought of it that way before, but it, that makes perfect sense. And what an amazing, what an amazing gift and journey that it was unexpected, but boy, has it paid off big. Uh, Norma, the same question for you. What have you learned along the way in your journey that is unexpected? Um, I learned that uh, a lot about um, that. I love learning myself. I love it. I love getting people excited about uh, the world of wine. And uh, really, it is such a vast world. I mean, it encompasses so many things. Cultures, um, how people grow grapes, how they're different, how each varietal you taste is just so uniquely specific to where who made it, where it's grown, uh, what kind of barrel they use or they didn't use. <laughs> um, and it's just meeting the most wonderful people who were inspiring to me and uh, excited about what they did. And, you know, really, truthfully, um, I was raising two kids alone when I'm doing all this. And a lot of people I know in the industry were going at it with very little funding, uh, just doing it because they loved it. And struggling to make ends meet. And that kind of spirit and love is so rewarding to see. And really at the end of the day, and you look at those beautiful vineyards and you just say, oh my gosh, this is, this is like paradise. This is, I loved feeling the energy of the vineyard. And I love that about Acquiesce is that I really felt there was a spirit there, that a spiritual tie. I felt very, very connected in 
uh, I had gone through a period of time where I wasn't feeling connected um, with things around the world. Um, I love teaching. I absolutely love that. And um, I found that it was a little bit too much after eight years of it. My classes got bigger and bigger and I moved uh, farther away where the commute was quite bad. And so I hated giving that up, but and I lost a little connection um, with who I was and what I had done and how far I had come. And I kind of felt like I hadn't, I hadn't amounted to anything. And then when I uh, saw acquiesce and I felt the, the connection there and Sue's message and what she had done, I was just like, I'm connecting here. I have to be here. I have to, I will do anything for these people. I love them so much, you know, and the wine and that, that really surprised me because I didn't really know if I, I Lodi. <laughs> <laughs> right. Lodi. You know, exactly. After being in Napa for 17 years and Lottie Dottie do, you know, which I love. I mean, I have a lot of friends there and everything, but Joe, my husband and I were ready to move on and get more real about where we were. And so I think that was the biggest surprise is just, wow, a Lodi winery called Acquiesce. And I'm feeling like this is my heart and soul and my spirit. And not to mention those beautiful wines. So I think that was something that is just extremely rewarding and makes me want to get up in the morning because I know I'm going to have Equius wine today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, and ladies, be, before I ask you uh, the questions that I ask everybody, I, I first want to say thank you. Thank you for being tremendous examples for us to follow your heart, follow your passion, even when it may not make sense, even when you may not know how you're going to get there. You still focus and keep doing it, even when you have naysayers around here that says around you that says you can't or you shouldn't or or not a good idea. Thank you. Thank you for being such amazing individuals that we can aspire to and can think, you know what, if they can do it, so can we. So thank you both for that. Thanks, Audra. You're welcome. I loved it. So <laughs> I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and I'm, I'm ask all of everybody these questions because uh, it's fun for me and the answers are fascinating. So uh, Norma, I'm going to ask you first, what is one book that you have read in your life that you think everybody should read? Well, I, I know what changed my life and put me into the food and wine industry. Um, and I, I have to tell you, it is my life in France, Julia Child. Actually, she wrote it in her 80s, right before she passed. And her uh, nephew, Paul Prudhomme, uh, she narrated and he wrote it. And that really changed so much of my life. It is such a beautiful, glorious story. Um, I, could, I mean, I have to also say, that um, reading uh, the World Atlas of Wine, which may sound so geeked out and crazy, <laughs> the World Atlas of Wine. <laughs> it's written by Jancis Robinson and Hugh Johnson, who are my total, total, total uh, mentors. And I read that those books, those are not readable books overnight. In the 1980s, uh, my son was in the hospital and I was sitting by his side. I had to kill some time. So I'm like, do 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 I'm going to start reading. World Atlas of Wine. <laughs> but you know, like you do, sitting in the hospital room. You know, for anybody who um, wants to even know anything about the wine world or anything about geography or viticulture or just about traveling, 
it is a wonderful, wonderful book. So um, I guess right off the top of my head, actually, I keep uh, uh, Julia's My Life in France by my bedside, and I read chapters out of it occasionally. I love that. I love that. Sue, what book do you recommend that everybody should read? Well, I'm reading it right now. Uh, It has really nothing to do about wine. Um, It's called The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. I've always been a proponent of um, people's rights. And uh, this is an eye-opening book about um, how the African-Americans have been um, put in jail throughout the years. I mean, I... Believe it or not, I'm a winemaker, but um, my high school term paper was about the Bolsheviks in Russia, (laughs) and I studied uh, psychology and sociology in college, Um, but I always find that I have to keep in the know and learning about uh, people around me, and uh, acquiesce. One of the things we do here is we give back, so there are several um, organizations that we give back to and, um, human rights and equality are a big part of that, but also, um, some local, um, boys and girls club and some local charities too. That is amazing. And thank you for that. Um, thank you. Uh, before I, before I wrap us up and let you run, there's a couple of things that I want to encourage the audience to do. One, go on their website. Their website is whitewinewinery.com. You can do a virtual tasting. They have, they've put together kits. They've made it easy for you. You can go on their website and order it. I've done a virtual tasting, and it was, it was really enjoyable. It was a great time, and these ladies, uh, we have fun with them. Um, Obviously, there's a banter back and forth, and it's incredibly educational. So I encourage you all to go and sign up for one of their virtual tastings because you you won't be sorry. I promise you that. Uh, second, uh, these ladies are being very, very generous to the audience. So for the month of November through November 30th, they are actually offering you a discount code. It is They're giving you a 15% discount code on the wine, and the code is WOMEN. So they're being very generous. Please go try their wine. Go order it. Order something for Thanksgiving. I promise you, you will not regret it. It is amazing, amazing, beautiful wine. Um, Before I let you run, last final statement to the audience. Norma, what is your last final thought for the audience? Well, I think just if you want to do something and you're not happy with what you're currently doing, then you better get going on that happy feeling and go for it. That is awesome. (laughs) Sue, last final statement to the audience. Um, I think just don't think in black or white. Don't think in terms of um, either I'm going to succeed or fail. Just go ahead and proceed with what it is that you'd like to do. And Audra, I want to thank you for giving women a platform to talk about their experiences and inspire other women, I hope. Um, I think it's a great thing. I know you're kind of just starting in on this, but um, from the podcast I've heard, I've been super, super impressed, and I feel honored to be on your program today. 
Thank you for saying that. I, I, that means a lot to me because, of course, you know that I'm a huge fan of you ladies. Um, and, and it is truly my goal to change the world one interview at a time. And I am so grateful that you have said yes to join me in that cause. So thank you for that. Uh, like I said, I can't say it enough. Please go visit their website. Please go order their wine. You will not be disappointed. And they're being very generous this month. So go support your female small business owners and give to them. And I promise you, you will get tenfold back. Thank you all. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you again next time. That's our show. Before I let you go, I have some business that I need to get to. First, I want to thank my guests. I am continually awed at your generosity of spirit and the vulnerability that you continue to bring to our conversations. To you, my audience, you are incredible. Thank you for growing with me, and I hope that I continue to exceed your expectations. And to my team that helps me pull this off every single week. To our composer, Star Diva, who is amazingly talented. To Alan Bruckner, our graphic designer. Thank you for taking my crazy ideas and giving it life. To Savannah Boster, our social media manager. You do this so much better than I ever could. And last, but certainly not least, our producer, my number one son, Gavin Agan. Thank you for supporting your mom with her dream. I couldn't do this without you, kid. Please follow us on our socials at Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at arena underscore women. See you next week. so grateful for each and every one of you and your unwavering support and your continued belief in this movement that has become much bigger than me, much bigger than just a podcast. It has become this forward momentum that we are all doing together. If you are ready or you know somebody that is, that is ready to tell your story and share your value with the world, please connect with me. You can reach me at audra at womeninthearena.net. I am so honored and thankful that you will share your story with me, and I'll make sure that it is well taken care of. I will never stop thanking each and every one of you, and I cannot wait to talk to you again next week as we share another woman's story and we celebrate her doing extraordinary things in plain sight. We'll see you next time. This is just the beginning.